Haskell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Well, hello from Birmingham, where we're just over halfway through our regional information conferences, which are giving a fantastic opportunity to me to uh, to just talk to members, meeting hundreds and hundreds of members, both in our initial early morning meetings with local representatives, where you're giving us feedback on what the issues are on the ground, but then meeting you over coffee and at lunchtime and just getting a sense of what is it like in your region. And uh, I'm also in Birmingham because it's the Association of Colleges uh, conference, and I'm speaking on literacy and uh, talking about transition from school into FE, which is one of those areas that perhaps doesn't get enough attention. So hello from England's second city. In this podcast, we're talking about the kind of themes which have been coming up in all of those discussions uh, that I've been having with people. So you're going to hear from Vivian Porritt, who's going to talk about Women Ed, and she's going to give some reflections from the summit, which I was asked to co-chair with Vicky Beer, which is about flexible working for teachers, a theme which is going to become more and more important, I think. You're going to hear from our new Director of Policy, Julie McCulloch, Uh, who is currently our primary and governance specialist. And she's going to give some reflections on the recommendations we're making to try and take some of the high-stakes accountability out of primary assessment. Uh, I think, you know, whether you're in secondary or primary or FE, uh, you're going to find that really interesting. And then I talked to lots of school leaders. I found a clip that I wanted to play from my discussions with some senior leaders in Shanghai. And I wanted to do that because one of the issues that has become really striking as we've been talking about ethical leadership is the notion of off-rolling. You might have seen I wrote about this in the TS uh, last week. And that's where schools and colleges either overtly or covertly are losing students from their role. And it's become an area of increasing concern at all types of levels. So I thought it was interesting to listen to the Director of Pastoral Care at a big, successful school in Shanghai who reminds us that there, in one of the top performing places in the world, you can't move a child out of the classroom, let alone moving them from one school to another. Then you've got a succession of different people. You've got Sarah Robinson, former FE principal, who's now working in Stoke-on-Trent, running a really interesting trust there and talking about the work they're doing, helping young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to think about going to medical school, doing some really interesting work with Keele University there. Ian Veach talks about something similar at his school in Chester-le-Street, starting to build the links with uh, a, a particular college at Durham University. You'll hear also from Carl Sugden, who talks with incredible pride about the work that he's been doing with his staff to make sure that children with Asperger's are given every opportunity to achieve their very best. And, and so as a nice kind of counterpoint to talking about the off-rolling issue, there's somebody who's, who's absolutely committed to inclusive education and doing it incredibly well. And I've been particularly interested in the changing shape of leadership. So we've got a couple of other interviews. You've got Brian Walker, who has been a head teacher for many years in Derby and talks with huge passion about the work he does as a community leader. And you get Roshan Paul, who is stepping from being a head teacher into a executive head teacher role. And that's one of those areas that lots of us kind of wonder what, what's different about it. What's it feel like? And she gives a really interesting insight into the changing shape of leadership for her. These are the authentic voices of the people who are running our colleges and our schools uh, on a day-to-day basis. And it's been a privilege to listen to them. So I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Vivian Porritt, National Leader of Women Ed. So describe it to us. Women Ed is a grassroots movement that supports and empowers aspiring and existing women leaders to choose their next leadership step. And how did it begin? Um, it began with a t- chat on Twitter. Um, and eventually, somebody said, we ought to have a little tea party. Two and a half Not years... Not in the American sense, we heard. No. <laughs> Two and a half years later, 14.5 thousand followers on Twitter... 3,500 people at events. 
and a shortlisted nomination for Outstanding Network of the Year. So it's gone really quite quickly. And uh, just say, what, what have we been at today? Um, so today, Women Ed has been delighted to represent um, women leaders in schools at the DfE Flexible Working Summit to look for ways in which flexible working can be a strategic response within a school. And la- last question, what do you think has been the main message that you, you're taking away from today? What have you learnt from this event? Um, I think the main message I've taken away is that what we hear from women leaders in schools about issues to do with flexible learning, that those issues are really going to be tackled by a whole range of significant important organisations so that change begins to happen quickly and in a sustainable way. I'm Julie McCulloch, Askell's Primary and Governance Specialist. Now, let's talk about primary assessment. It's always been a controversial area, isn't it? Because you've got children who suddenly get to year six, year six, and maybe some of the years before it feel like they've changed and assessment's dominating. You're doing something to kind of explore some of the issues. Tell us, tell us what you've been working on. Sure. So, yeah, I think there's been a lot of thinking done over the last couple of years about assessment in primary schools, a lot of recognition about some of the issues that there are with it, um, about the, the impact that it has on the curriculum, about the fact that we, you know, we're testing quite young children and there are challenges to that. So there has been a lot of thinking around primary assessment. Where I think there's been less work done is on accountability for primary schools. So basically how the results of those assessments are used to hold our primary schools to account. And there have been uh, a few uh, reports, organisations, basically coming to the, the same conclusion that we have, that actually the, the biggest issue isn't with the assessments themselves at primary school, it's with how the results of those assessments are used. And that presumably is partly because if you're, if you're in a primary school and it's a small primary school, then disproportionately the results those youngsters might be getting in the assessments then have a massive impact on the, the teacher the head teacher but in particular on the school and the way it's perceived mm, absolutely so you know there are huge numbers of schools primary schools that have fewer than 200 pupils and quite a significant number that have fewer than a, than 100 pupils so you know you're then looking at numbers that you know are about 12 to 15 pupils in each cohort taking the key stage 2 sats and while you know obviously the results of those children can tell you something about the school it's a nonsense to suggest they can tell you anything hugely meaningful about the school given the difference that there might be in the makeup of any particular year group. So you, you've convened a, a, a kind of accountability review group. Give us a flavour of both who some of the people might be and what it's been doing. Yeah, so I've brought together a group of, I think it's about 12 people on the, the expert panel. So we've got a range of people who are very immersed in primary education. So that includes, for example, Dame Alison Peacock, who is now heading up the Chartered College of Teaching, but has been a primary school head and hugely successful primary school head for many years uh, we have another very successful primary uh, now retired head in Dame Rena Keeble uh, and we also have a, a range of people who are very immersed in assessment practice uh, so we've got Greg uh, Watson from uh, GL Assessment who's involved in it, uh, we've got Catherine Kirkup from NFER and we have a range of, of people who are practising primary heads, primary teachers so a, a wide range of people that we've brought together to help us think through what's working at the moment about primary accountability, what's not working and how we might want to change the current approach to make it better. 
And so you're going to be publishing a report fairly soon, without spoiling the punchline. Uh, just, just give us a, a hint of the kinds of uh, the themes that might emerge. Mm, sure. So what we've tried to do is we've come up with, I think, seven principles of what we think an effective accountability system should look like. So it starts, for example, kind of at the very basics to think about actually what is it, what is it that we value from primary education? What are the outcomes that we think we're looking for? And actually, if we don't have a shared view of that as a society, our argument is we don't think we do at the moment how can you begin to hold schools to account if you don't know what you're holding them to account for so we're starting kind of right at the beginning to think about what that might look like then starting to think about okay so if that's what we think primary education should be about what are the the proxies that are that might be measurable that we could look at for whether schools are actually delivering on those on on that vision or not so we're we're kicking that around a little bit we're also looking at uh, the current accountability measures and how well we think they work in terms of standing up to our vision for for what what a a really effective accountability system should look like. Um, And we're kind of building on that really, so starting with the basics and then thinking about how we might as a as a system more effectively hold schools to account for the things that we think are important. What I like about this finally is the fact that essentially rather than just taking the the frame of reference of what what we've got now and how we do things now. You're actually, you're essentially going back to principles mm. of primary education and so on and so forth. And uh, should we feel optimistic? Do you think? I think we should. I mean, I think some of the conversations that we've had with the expert panel have been fascinating, and I think we've come up, I hope, when when we get the the final report out towards the end of this year or the beginning of next year, I hope what we'll have there is a set of recommendations, some of which are those sort of big picture things that I've talked about, but some of which actually are things that might be quicker wins, easier to achieve. So hopefully we can we can start to move towards a better system in a, in a kind of incremental way, but with a bigger vision for where we want to get to longer term. Julie, thank you. My name is Gu Yongqing. And say what your job is at the school. My job, um, I'm an English teacher as well as the director of the uh, overseas students' office. Uh, do you find parents uh, expect a lot from teachers? Do they put a lot of pressure on teachers? Or do they try and trust teachers and just kind of leave teachers to teach the children? Uh, Chinese parents trust the teachers very much. How often would a, a Chinese teacher uh, meet the parents or talk to the parents of one of their students? You, you can ask her because she is the whole of Every semester we have uh, one big parents meeting. Is that after school or in the evening? So parents could contact you directly to say, I'm worried about my child. Yes, yes. I need to talk to and, it's my, it's my and do, you, do you encourage that? You encourage parents to use that to contact you? When there's a problem, because I, I need to be responsible. I need to see they can grow well, right? Yeah. And have you got to, do you get children who are just misbehaving all the time, being a problem in class? And what kind of things do you do with them? Talk more. And in the classroom, I have to look after him, spend more time with him again. And I have to be more patient to him or her than others. Because he needs the time. But would you would you take the child out of that lesson because they are spoiling it for everybody well, else? It's not allowed. You it's can't take allowed. them out. It's not allowed. It's the policy. It's not allowed. Rules so you say could, you could, could, could you take a naughty boy or naughty girl from one school and say you've been so naughty? We're sending you to another school. No, it's not allowed. Nine-year compulsory school here in, in China is not allowed to take a child out of the classroom.
to take him, drive him to an but you, there, there must be some children who are very, very disruptive. Yeah, of there? course, we do have. We do have every... But you have to keep them in the class. Yeah, make them change. And what, so what kind of things do you do to make them change? A lot of things. When someone is really, really misbehaving and he does bad things all the time, there may be a very big story behind it. The parents and his, the child history. And we'll go, I will go back to that. And what happened? And what makes him become so? So you spend a lot of time talking to children, yeah. working on their psychology? Yeah. And he's really happy to see, see them change. So is your belief that every child can learn and develop and be successful finally every child i believe so thank you i'm sarah robinson i'm chief executive of alpha academy's trust in stoke-on-trent great well just describe what what the trust is and who it involves well currently we have five schools um we have two um, secondary academies a primary academy and two studio colleges with a further secondary school primary school and a pupil referral unit set to join us over the next 12 months Gosh. And your background is in further education, isn't it? It is. It's been unusual, I guess. Um, my, um, for um, around 17 years, I've been principal of two further education colleges, one in the North East in Darlington and here in Stoke-on-Trent. Recently left that post um, and I'm currently on an interim contract um, setting up this trust in Stoke-on-Trent. Now, we're here at Keele University and your trust is, is doing some interesting work with the, the, the medical department here, if I understand it correctly. Just d- describe what's happening there. Yeah, so the School of Medicine um, here at Keele University has developed what they call a MedPath programme, which is aimed at widening participation for students from disadvantaged backgrounds to um, enter medical professions. And they have developed what I think is probably quite a unique programme that they offer to secondary schools for pupils in years 9, 10 and 11. Uh, we have co-created some of the sessions with um, third-year medical students where they're actually teaching those sessions based on enhancing knowledge and skills related to the science curriculum but aimed at developing deeper knowledge that will serve students well going into post-16 programmes and then on into um, the medical school, not necessarily this medical school. They will also help them with the UCAT um, entry um, examination they have to take um, and They've also done some absolutely fabulous um, career sessions with them, talking about just preparing them for university. They're also going to provide some mentoring support to those students, and we're just going to look at a programme where we can engage parents as well um, to support those parents whilst the children are following these programmes. Sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Ian Veach. I'm head teacher of Parkview School in Chesley Street, County Durham. Uh, now, Ian, as well as having the privilege of being my uh, best man, uh, <laughs> notice how I immediately get that out of the way, OK, all that baggage. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the school that you've been head at for 11 or 12 years, I think. Um, in 11 or 18 school, we were a specialist language college. Uh, we have 1,450 children on roll and we're split over two sites with years 7 and 8 taught two miles away from the rest of the school. Now, you've got this project which is going on with uh, Durham University. Just kind of explain that to us. Durham University are very keen to recruit more students from the northeast, um, and they've been doing a, a program called Supporting Progression for a while. But really, when I took some disadvantaged students to Durham, it struck me 
that the environment itself militates against children applying there um, because it is so alien to their experiences. And the closest thing that it was seen would be in Harry Potter, really, uh, which makes them feel that they, don't, they just don't belong there. Um, so we approached a, one of the colleges called St. Chad's, a very forward-thinking college, uh, and asked them if they would be interested in a partnership with us, which would see students um, go to that, the college nine times over their sixth form, um, they would take part in the debating society, they would uh, have access to university libraries throughout the two years, and they would be mentored through their EPQ by um, some of the academic staff. And so who, who are the students who uh, get, get involved in this? It tends to be the most able and talented with a mix of the disadvantaged and the non-disadvantaged. So it's a, so it's a broad spectrum, really. Um, well, why do you do that? Why don't you just choose entirely the disadvantaged? Because I felt that... Um, this is an opportunity which should be open to all my students and not for a certain section of them. But I was very keen that we should have representation from all, from all sections of the school. And was it something students have to apply for or do you kind of, yeah. you, you nominate them? We had 40 students apply for 26 places, so I sold it in assembly. Um, and then they had to write a letter of application saying why they should be considered. And then we did group interviews with the senior, the vice principal from St. Chad's present. And she chose the students that she was interested in. Um, and, and we'll watch their development. It's actually really good because what St Chad's are interested in is not just kind of how many apply to St Chad's at the end of the day, but also what effect it has on those students' A-level studies. Yeah, and what's, what's the uh, initial sense of how those young people have reacted to this? It's been really interesting, really. We've, we've been to St Chad's twice. The first time they were very nervous, um, but by the time they left, they, they, they felt they kind of owned the place, really. <laughs> Quite arrogant about the whole thing. And the second time, they literally just walked in and took their place amongst the St Chad students, um, and all the nerves had gone. So from being overawed by what is a, a beautiful environment um, to actually feeling part of it, it's happened very, very quickly. And did you, did you say something about um, the, the fact that they're going to kind of sit down and have formal dinners, you know, all, all the kind of stuff, the trappings that can be so off-putting to a, a youngster? Yeah, the plan is that they will experience at least two formal dinners over the two years, and that will be in the gowns um, and feeling very much part of an, an elite institution, actually. So, yeah. That's great. Ian Veach, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. I'm Roisin Paul. I'm the executive head teacher of Course Education Trust based in Sheffield. Okay, and what job were you doing before this one? I was the head teacher of Silverdale School, which is an outstanding 11 to 18 school in Sheffield. So I'm interested in this idea of being a head and then stepping up to be uh, someone who is not having day-to-day responsibility, but is overseeing a, a, a couple of schools. So tell us about your headship. Well, how long were you there? What kind of school is it? Okay, so I was um, head teacher of Silverdale for four years. Um, absolutely fantastic school, very um, hard-working staff, really outstanding students. Um, and during that time, we secured an outstanding judgment um, in October 2014. So something then happened in terms of it coming about that there was another school you were going to be partnered with. So talk us through what that part of the history is. Yeah, well, we, we ultimately believed that the landscape was changing and we either needed to be leaders of that or we would have it done to us. So we decided to be masters of our own destiny um, and we wanted um, to form our own ethos and have a trust which had the same set of values as our school, so we thought we would do it ourselves. So that's originally where the idea came from. Um, and since then we've um, worked 
with lots of other schools with the same ethos and values. A lot of the schools who are interested in joining our trust actually want to because of the fantastic work that our teaching school has done over the last five to six years as well. So that's the collection of schools that we, we would love to begin to collaborate more with and have a greater understanding of as well. Great, I love that kind of infectious sense. Of, we'd love to do it. So you step out of headship and now you're what chief executive, executive head, executive something like that. Head. So just talk us through how, what was that process like? Is that difficult? Is it hard to let go of things? Um, I thought it would be more difficult than it is. Um, I really miss the day-to-day because there's a lot of adrenaline in your job on a day-to-day basis. Um, dealing with the, the, the students on a, on a daily basis is really rewarding as well and can be challenging at times. So I miss that aspect of it. But what it does do is give you more time um, to think strategically and to work at a, a different level in terms of seeing the bigger picture and making sense of that. Um, as part of a, a large organisation. So the, the, the part that I'm really enjoying at the minute is being able to identify all the strengths within the schools and the strengths within our teachers and being able to bring them together and join them up um, and allow them to work together in a way that's non-threatening and very, very productive. And it sounds, uh, finally, just listening to you, as if that's stepping into a slightly different role is uh, almost a natural development you're doing things on a larger scale now and even though you might be more detached from the day-to-day I guess it's the strategic thinking but also having the right staff in the right place and seeing them flourish as well is that does that characterize yeah, it that, that's exactly it and, and if anything that's a really lovely part of the job as well because you can see the people that you have developed stepping into those new positions at, at, at perhaps a, a slightly higher level and um, so you watch them grow as professionals as well and that's just a joy that's really really lovely so I think that's a brilliant part of the job um, I think the other thing is as well it's about being more outward facing so looking more towards um, the educational land- landscape in terms of government Ofsted DFE um, what Haskell are doing for example um, and being having the time to um, I suppose understand that and bring that back to other leaders and share that in a way that's meaningful um, and as a head of a, a school day to day it's very very hard to to find the time to do that. Machine, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the music in the background as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm Carl Sugden and I'm head teacher of King James's School in Nasborough. Now we were just talking about the school and one of the things you were saying you were proud of particularly is the kind of inclusive ethos. Just give, give me an example of that. Um, I think the best example I can give you is um, we have twice the national average of youngsters with a special education lead and education health and care plan and um, one of the things that the school is very good at is working with youngsters with autism and Asperger's syndrome. We're an enhanced mainstream school for, um, for autism and a, f- a few years ago we had a youngster who arrived from special and my EMS lead recognised that inside this young man, locked into this young man, was a very bright young man who was capable of functioning in mainstream. In fact, he spent the first week lying in the car park underneath the minibus, refusing to come out. Uh, Three years later, he left with A-levels. And uh, it would have been very easy to have given up and said, well, back to special school you go. But we didn't. We persevered. We could see the potential and we succeeded. And I think the point that I would make is you can't put that always onto a league table and it's not always reflected in the accountability measures. So it's incredibly well said, but the other thing which you're doing there is taking something that others might perceive as a problem and saying this is something we should feel really proud of. Absolutely. And we do feel proud and the staff get a real uh, sense of uh, professional pride out of doing that job. Brian Walker, Head West Park. 
Brian, you've been head at West Park for a number of years. T- t- tell us about that. This is 21 years coming up. Um, in Derby City, I've been since 1976, so I've been 40 years in the city at four schools. Um, West Park is uh, 11 to 16, very comprehensive, comprehensive. The most comprehensive school I've ever worked at. It's a predominantly white working class school, but we have increasing numbers of children from different ethnic backgrounds. It means that we've got the whole spectrum of both uh, social context and ability. So we do have children who will leave school unable to read and write, and those who go on to the best universities, the Russell Group universities. Um, it's been an absolute roller coaster ride as far as the national scene has impacted on education, but for us, What we've done right from day one is decided that what we do is important. We hold on to it. Culture is very important to us. Now, I've been talking this morning about community leadership and something that doesn't get enough recognition. You embody that because you've been with that school uh, for such a long time. You've been in that community for even longer than that. So just reflect in terms of what, what, what have you noticed about the community and what have you noticed about the changing role as a head? One of those things that resonate with me about the role of the head in the, in the community is, I, can, I can't remember who said it, that every community needs a good, at least a good school. And that's what I pledged to the uh, governors on, on appointment. And I said to them that it is a pledge. It is not a promise. It's something that will happen. And I think over the time, with governors who have been... Um, benevolent and uh, open with me rather than um, wishing to manage the schools themselves what we've done together as representatives of the community and we have many of the um, associate staff workers who are parents who live in the community is given them a school which they can be proud of so that they don't have to go outside now what that has meant for the the village um, and they call it, still call themselves a village. It's, a, it's an urban area on the edge of a big city. Uh, but they, it, it's given them more purpose to stay within the village rather than going seeking places outside. And we achieved the ultimate accolade of being on estate agent's details. <laughs> and what about in terms of leadership? How has running a school, heading a school, changed? I, I think in right from the start, what... I tried to do as far as uh, colleagues were concerned in the school is strip away reasons for them to be able to say the school's to blame. So it was seeking out those pockets of excellence that were in the school and nurturing them. It was seeking out those areas within the school where there was um, um, collusion around underperformance and we opened it up to honesty and one of the first things that I did was to take away through, uh, not through any sort of uh, confrontation approach but through uh, opportunities for early retirement and so on, the whole of the senior leadership so that it, it, there was myself, a colleague deputy and then middle leaders which we, we held the fort in that way for a significant amount of time spinning plates early till late um, multitasking uh, I was head of pastoral which I've never done before I'm an ex-head of English uh, and an ex-curriculum deputy but uh, that was a function which I felt was a bit of a Cinderella at the school in some ways because it was an area that the school felt they did well but it's doing it well didn't actually have an impact on outcomes 
and it needed to be done well and have an impact on outcomes. So, so we changed that. Well, that meant that there was nobody to blame. Give us that, that story about your first term of headship and then tell us what's happening next week. Well, um, first term of headship, one or two of the things that uh, every leader needs to do is to put a marker and uh, the, some young people presented me with a fantastic opportunity leading up to one Christmas. They had some uh, snow spray which they decorated all of the windows of the shops with in the village the night before and I was able to identify quickly the characters concerned. We got mops and buckets, made a parade line into the village, washed every window went down very very well <laughs> and next week tell us well it's a week after next it, um, I, you'd never know how these things happen an envelope had landed in my doorstep one day um, on the back of being told six weeks previously uh, that I was going to be awarded an MBE um, for services to education and I'm so looking forward to well, it on behalf of Ashko, <laughs> thank you so much privilege thank you <laughs> The Askell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton.